Hello, I'm Mark Ainley, otherwise known as DJ Solitaire. I've been asked by a number of people uh, to share some of my memories of the early years of the Goa trance scene because I had the great good fortune to be in Tokyo at a time when the scene was really starting to expand in quite a remarkable way and I also had the opportunity to go to London and meet many of the producers and DJs while this musical underground scene was really in its heyday. And so I have quite a lot of stories to share and in fact the fact that somebody with my background could get involved in this kind of scene as well speaks to I think something that's inside the music that's quite fascinating. So, so how about I begin? A little bit of background is that I come largely from a classical music training and background. Uh, when I grew up I listened to a lot of classical music and of course I would listen to some pop music as well. I got into Blondie while I was nine or ten years old and the Eurythmics I thought were fantastic in my teens. Uh, but when I was 16 I got even more bitten by a certain musical bug as I started exploring historical piano recordings, that is, recordings that were made in the 1920s or 30s. And I really honed my listening skills and my musical interests and got very focused on classical music for many years, and I still am involved in that scene. But as a result of that interest growing to such a degree when I was 16, I didn't pay as much attention to popular music after that time. I would occasionally go out to regular nightclubs and I was fine with the music I was hearing, but at home I was listening pretty much exclusively to classical music. And when I moved to Tokyo in 1992 to become an English teacher, uh, it was all classical music that I was listening to, with the exception of actually Enya. Uh, of all things, uh, which is interesting because, of course, uh, there is quite a lot of computer work going on with her uh, music and the effects that she achieves. But I didn't listen to popular music very much. I would hear MTV at the gym in Tokyo. Uh, I would occasionally go out to some nightclubs and dance events with friends, but, you know, the music didn't particularly grab me. And I stayed in Tokyo for a few years, and every summer I would go home and come back at the end of August or beginning of September. And I arrived back in the last days of August or first days of September 1994 and went to visit one of my best friends at his job. He was running a bar uh, in a very trendy area of Tokyo. And he was telling me that he'd been going to some absolutely fantastic musical events and he thought I would really enjoy them, so why don't I tag along? And uh, we'd been very good friends for two or three years, and so I thought, well, sure, you know, I'll trust him on this one, and so I'll go with him. And so we wandered a Saturday or two later into this residential area and went over to his friend's house and then we were walking to an area nearby. Now, this was completely a residential zone. There were no nightclubs whatsoever to be found anywhere around there. But we were walking down the street and I could slowly hear this, this sort of this low rumbling bass as we 
started getting closer to this venue. But I was really intrigued because, of course, there's no nightclubs. This is, you know, I didn't know what we were, what we were going to. And so we entered this space. Uh, I believe we went up the stairs and, and we went down an elevator. And we went down to this sort of basement where they were playing this very low-key electronic music. So it was very spacey and they had some beautiful projections on the wall. And the space was actually a photographer's studio. Uh, so we were in a deep, deep basement underground in Tokyo, which is really great when you're in an earthquake zone. And there was this curve to the wall uh, at the edge, carpet all over, and there were people lying down. There were cushiony, cushion zones and blanketed areas and really beautiful atmospheric music. And I enjoyed just sort of hanging around and chatting. And it wasn't too busy, not too many people. And then I really felt the urge to go check out this dancing uh, that Donaldo had mentioned to me. So I went up, he told me that it was one floor up and he was going to be there shortly. And I went up into this room where there were not many people either, but the music absolutely knocked my socks off. There was this rich, uh, otherworldly sound to some this, this synthesizer music. There were lights flashing and there was this real vibrancy and energy to the music. Now, I had no idea where the music was coming from. I didn't know there was such a thing as a DJ. I didn't know how music was actually disseminated in clubs. I wasn't interested in the culture. It wasn't something I paid attention to. And so I knew somebody somewhere was probably doing something, but I didn't see them. And it really wasn't my focus. I was just really intrigued to be hearing music that was completely structurally different, that sonically was different than anything I'd heard. The, the palette, in a sense, the colors that were being created, the sounds, were simply a radical departure from anything that I'd heard. And I danced the whole night. I just completely lost myself in his music. Uh, danced the whole night to this these sounds that I, I didn't quite know uh, how to explain and it was really quite intrigued you know the over the course of the coming week I was very interested because I of course as I said I came from a classical music background and so this party was one of the Odyssey parties that would take place every couple of weeks in Tokyo, and at this time it was taking place in the Token Cafe in the Meguro district, right in a residential area, as I said. And so it was very underground because anybody who was going there had to know it was there. You weren't going to get anybody wandering in by chance because it was not a club area where people would just go explore. And so I started looking forward to going to these events, I was intrigued. I didn't know where to go or what to listen for or anything. So I just would go meet Donaldo at the bar at the Las Chicas restaurant complex. He was running a place called D Zone. And we would wander off to wherever was on the agenda. But the life changing experience that completely shifted my worldview of music and in a sense of how music is communicated with people and what it's part of 
changed on October 15th, 1994. I remember going to D-Zone that evening and there was always a group of us that would go and uh, Tomo, our friend, showed me a flyer for this place we were going to. It was a club in the Shibuya district and actually a club that we had been to before, but he pointed to the name of the DJ and then he pointed to something underneath it, DJ Ollie, and it said from Goa. And he's like, oh, this is good, this is good. And so I had no idea and I was like, okay, you know, I'll go to that. And go to that we did. And to say that this was a life-changing, mind-altering, consciousness-expanding experience would be to radically understate uh, what it is that transpired. At this club, we walked in at the sixth floor and then would descend uh, one floor down to down some stairs to the dance floor. So there's kind of a bar and lounge area upstairs and then you go downstairs uh, to the dance floor. And I walked down these stairs into this room that was illuminated with this glowing art. The walls seemed to be alive and there was these very bright colors uh, and geometrical designs. In the middle of the wall was uh, these fractals, which I didn't know what they were at the time, around this Japanese, the Japanese characters for this Japanese word, Genki. Now, Genki is this concept which is unique to the Japanese language and isn't really found in any other language. And it's often referred to as a state of health and vitality that it's a little bit more than that. If you look at the individual characters, in a sense it means original spirit or original energy or source of energy. And so when you ask somebody, are you Genki? They're sort of saying, how are you doing? Are you healthy? And so on, are you, how are you feeling? But it's more this implication of being connected to source. And so it really stood out when I saw that character with these vibrant, colorful, fractals and this illuminated room where everything was glowing in this black light and then that combined with the music that i was hearing now i had absolutely loved what i'd heard at the odyssey parties for one or two visits prior to this party but what i heard this night all of a sudden made such an impression the combination of the visual world and the sonic world and the overall energy that was taking place on the dance floor was something I had never experienced. And it was so new to me that it really knocked me sideways. And I didn't quite understand what was going on. And so I, I just danced some more and I wasn't particularly a good dancer by any stretch, not that, you know, in a sense, there's quality of dancing, but, you know, I was never really fully at ease in my body and, um, so how to move with ease to the music wasn't quite natural to me. And, you know, this music was a little bit fast and uh, as it was at Odyssey. But, I, you know, I was just, I, I could not stop from being on the dance floor and moving to this music and marveling at what it is that I was listening to. And, you know, at the time, everything was so strange and it was like different, listen, it was like listening to another language. So... I can't really articulate precisely or say, now that I know the music from that period, 
what it was I was listening to, but I, there are some impressions that stuck with me that were really very clear at the time that I'll articulate. And then I'll play a little bit of uh, some of the music that I later heard, which reminds me a lot of what it was I was listening to at the time and what I think was possibly played, knowing what was released and what was uh, around. Two different impressions that struck me as I was listening to this music. One was that I was in outer space and that I was hearing the noises of outer space. There was these whoosh, these whooshes and uh, there was a sense of spaciness and outer spaceness and openness to the environment that was thoroughly remarkable. And as I would hear these sounds, I was thinking, wow, you know, what's this like to be in outer space and that you're traveling through consciousness and is that space of consciousness, is that the same thing as outer space? And I was really blown away by what I was hearing and by the implications of this. And additionally, there was this kind of very robotic, very computerized aspect to the music that really intrigued me. And I thought at the same time that I was also listening to what it's like to be in a computer or what computers might be thinking or what computers, how computer programs might be working. And I started then going down this pathway uh, of connected ideas of how our brain in a sense operates like a computer, our consciousness does, and we have different programs that are running. And I just felt like this music was connecting me to my own programming, to the way that my own consciousness as a program and also as a sense of space was working. I danced the whole night and while I was looking around and moving around the room and dancing really all over the place, I mean, it was, it was really like uh, hard to keep me in one spot at any time. I was just so intrigued. It really brought back this part of me as a child when my parents would put on a couple of my favorite classical recordings. I would run down the hallway and it would be so filled with excitement at hearing some of my favorite music. And it connected me again to that source that's so alive with music, in a sense, that Genki that was written on the wall. And I saw one or two people wearing this really amazing geometric clothing. And there was this one Japanese guy who had these black and white tights with these sort of line drawings on them. And he was wearing some other glowing paraphernalia on him. And uh, I was just looking at this outfit thinking, wow, you know, the clothes look like this music sounds and just like this decor. And I was like, what is this? You know, and it looks like I thought, wow, this is almost like if you're in an alien nightclub. And I thought, you know, I wonder if they had people who lived on other planets. And I use the word people, actually. I think it's the wrong word. You know, if there were beings living on other planets, would they gather together as well? Would they have certain opportunities or occasions when they congregate in the same place and they do something like have the same kind of input, like taking in the same music through their ears and maybe with their bodies, they're expressing something in their own individual ways in the way that we as human beings dance. And it really, for me to be in Japan for this experience was particularly meaningful because everything was already different. You know, this was something that I came across and I'd been experiencing for my previous uh, two, it was now going into my third year there, 
where you know everything that we've learned and everything that's normal for us is only normal because it's what we're used to. It's what we spent a lot of time doing. So cultural behaviors, things that we say, things that we do, uh, the fact that you know in Japan you don't walk into a home with your shoes. I mean, you walk right into the door and then you take them off before you walk really more fully into the home. Uh, they all say a certain expression before eating and after eating and so on and so forth. And, you know, they have these customs and we all have customs. And so for me to be in a place where all of my customs, everything that I considered normal, was basically just relative. It was just my experience. It was what I was used to. And it might be seen as quote unquote right because it's what I knew. To then go into this nightclub where everything I was used to looking at and seeing and hearing was so completely different, I felt like I'd literally entered a new world and that I was I was already in the future or I was already on another planet. I just realized that, you know, as much as I'm experiencing a different culture here in Japan, here I am sort of imagining, in a sense, what it might be like somewhere else completely different. Now, I couldn't speak Japanese very well, and this guy couldn't speak English uh, very well. And so I couldn't quite figure out when I was asking where he got those clothes, I couldn't figure out how to ask well, and he couldn't really explain. And he just sort of pointed to the front of the room. And um, he was pointing to where the DJ was, but I didn't actually see the person who was in fact the DJ that night. There were two people behind the decks. Uh, one of them was Ollie, who was the DJ for that event. And Ollie, who uh, was known by the project name and also for the clothing design, Space Tribe. And I'll be talking much more about Ollie because uh, because of this, this event, he really became for me a symbol for what this movement was all about. But there was another fellow there, um, an African-American guy who was really quite large and was also wearing uh, this black and white fractalized clothing. And he was bouncing around as well back there and he was managing the lights. And his timing with the lighting was so fantastic. I would hear something start to happen musically and then there would be the shift as there often is in this music over an eight or 16 bar, 32 bar period. And then something would happen and then all of a sudden the strobe lights would go off and then after another shift uh, the lighting would change again. And so I actually thought he was the one who was responsible for what was going on. And the fact that I saw him and I could see him operating lighting controls, you know, I thought he was the one who was behind it. And I thought that the sound and the lighting were all linked and that it was one performer who was doing all of that. And so it was really quite interesting because I just, I didn't, if I saw Ollie, I didn't recognize him, I didn't see him, and again, I had no real concept of what was going on, of what was required to get music out of these, uh, out of the speakers, and how the sound was created. I was just completely absorbed in this whole experience. This nightclub had a terrace outside, and uh, people would go out to have a smoke or get some air, and I went out and this guy was there, and I just said, you know, I don't know what this is and I don't know what's going on but basically I want in like I don't know what this is but if you need help with producing any of this kind of stuff or you need you know people to help move things or whatever 
you know, sign me up. And he just said, you know, man, that's awesome. And how about you just, you know, why don't you just go back in there and dance? Because that's really the ultimate. You know, you just want to really be here and enjoy it. And that I did. And, you know, I met a few people that night who would become real friends over the course of the coming years who we'd go to events. You know, we'd all go to events together and later on, you know, listen to music together and exchange tapes and so on. And one fellow who I met he seemed to be really enjoying himself quite a lot. And he was dancing in this very streamlined, very fluid kind of way. It looked almost like Tai Chi, which I didn't even know at the time. Later on, there was a sunrise taking place. It was on one of the balconies, and I struck up a conversation with him while he was out there. And he seemed to be more active in the scene. And in fact, uh, it later turned out that he was the one who had organized this party. So his name was David. Uh, his name still is David. He's a good friend of mine still. And uh, he had organized this party because he was actually the fellow who was bringing in this clothing that I was then very interested in buying. And he'd sold out everything that he'd brought in that evening. So uh, we made plans in the future. We exchanged numbers and that whenever he would bring in some clothing, I would get an opportunity to take a look at what he had. But he was talking to me philosophically about the scene, and I don't remember a whole lot because it was, you know, six in the morning and I'd been up dancing all night. But, you know, he was talking really about how it was a very, um, you know, very connected scene and how friendly people were and how people help each other and so on and so forth. And he mentioned, I believe, something around full moons and uh, eclipses and... Uh, how these parties were taking place in many places. And I was, you know, I was kind of intrigued, but I, I, I just really wanted it in somehow. I just knew there was something in this music. One of the other awarenesses that I had while I was dancing to it, there's actually two other awarenesses that came to me uh, that are related to my classical background. One of them was that the composer Hector Berlioz had always wanted a massive orchestra. He wanted an orchestra with like, you know, 300, 400 people so he could just get this massive sound and then really have the power of music come through. And I thought, well, yeah, but when you have amplified sound, you have the capacity to project and have this music disseminated in such a way that you can reach more people or there could be that power that's really clearly communicated. And I started thinking about where classical music had gone and what the future of it was. And it wasn't particularly optimistic in a way. Um, after the early 20th century, classical music kind of went to a dead end where composers would do things that were creative and interesting and theoretically maybe was a nice idea, but in practice wasn't really sensible. You know, it wasn't really beautiful music to listen to. It might be interesting, but it really didn't tug at the heartstrings. It wasn't really something that you could sit down and enjoy listening to in a concert hall, not for me anyway. So I started really, as I was dancing to this music, realizing that I think this is where classical music has been heading. And I remembered a term that was used by the composer Paul Hindemith, which is Gebrauchtsmusik, which is music to be used. 
that really for music to be real music it needs to be usable it can be appreciated and used in a certain sense now if you think about movie music that's one way that music can be used and music on gramophone records or that you listen now you know on cds or on uh, audio files on your computer uh, which you know we weren't doing as much back in the 90s really computer wise it was still cds um, and so i started thinking about the fact that you know classical music as a medium where you sit in a hall and are static and have the music projected to you and played live, that this had reached a kind of dead end, and not that I think it needs to be a dead end, but it, it certainly got to that point. And I started to hear this vibrant, alive, genki, electronic music as in a sense the continuation of the spirit of what music was about which really you know Bach would write church music he played in a church every week and people would go to concert performances as a kind of a spiritual experience they would go to hear something that both connected them to the earth and also made them aware of something that was much greater uh, most composers were religious in that spiritual sense and the musical experience of a concert was one that really was meant to tap into that kind of energy and I thought I think this is actually the new medium and in fact as I was listening to this musical mathematics I thought you know I think Bach would without a doubt be writing for a computer if he were alive today. It was absolutely clear to me. And that also the whole experience of moving and having your individual experience and expression of that experience to music that's entering your ears and then it's moving through you and it's expressing itself physically through your body, uh, it really struck me as Gebrauchtsmusik, like you're actually using the music, it's not just static. Um, now again, there's nothing wrong with you know sitting still and having the music move through you and uh, take your consciousness somewhere as well. But I really got another sense of the power of what was possible musically, and especially with music like this. Now, when you think about a musical instrument, you think about a guitar, or, uh, you know, think of an electric guitar, for example, popular in rock, or you think of a piano or a flute or a violin you have a visual in your head because of your experience of what that instrument looks like of what's producing that sound when you listen to electronic music when you're a in a sense virgin to this kind of music and you just listen to what's coming through this synthesized music other than a synthesizer per se all of those electronic sounds and don't have an automatic visual correlative image. There's not something that you see in your mind's eye related to the sound that you're hearing. And so in a sense, I think that it puts you more in direct connection with what's happening musically than is the case 
with music that's played through analog instruments with which we have some experience. And so there was something that much more direct, that much more immediate about the experience of hearing these sounds that you couldn't anticipate, that you couldn't quite imagine. And so there was this aliveness and freshness and fun to listening to what was completely unexpected, unanticipated. It simply was this present time experience of sound and your present time experience of moving with it. And so as I listened to these whooshes and as I listened to these patterns that sounded mathematical, um, and as I listened to this effect that I later knew to was termed gating, where there was this kind of oscillation, this ta 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 while something else seemed to be going through it, like there was this breaking apart of sound while something else continued through. I just realized, wow, you know, there's so much potential with what you can do. And I had no idea still, I just had synthesizers kind of in mind, but I had no idea how it was, it was done by computer or, you know, what kind of studio would be required or, or how anybody would, would make this thing. I had no idea still. Um, really that somebody was there and that it was, um, you know, how the music was coming through the speakers. So the freshness and the aliveness of hearing these sounds really made an incredible impression. And I'd like to play a couple of tracks that uh, really put me in mind of what it was that I experienced at that event. The first one is one that I actually got years later, but as soon as I heard this, I thought, wow, okay, I think this is one of the tracks that I heard that night because it has that sort of uh, oscillating, sort of almost gating effect in there with a fluid melody that takes place at the same time. And that was something that I was aware of as I was dancing. I was hearing these different textures. There would be one melody that would carry through fluidly while something else was detached and static and was oscillating and jumping. And I was really intrigued by those textures, which is much harder to achieve in a sense with uh, well, as, as a pianist, you can do it. It's harder. I mean, with a full orchestra, you probably can as well. But it's uh, it was it was just something that really struck me. This is a track by Sidonia called Shambhala. Let's have a listen.
So that track actually really reminds me of what it was that I was hearing at that party with that powerful bass line and those um, up and down figurations and that oscillating and that beautiful simple melody. Um, really quite outstanding. I'm Mark Ainley, DJ Solitaire, closing up this first episode, exploring the history, my personal history, with Goa Trance. Until the next time, stay well, stay Genki, have fun, and be you.
Come, come, come.